Hello again, and welcome to the VO2 Lounge Podcast, what aims to be your one-stop shop for all things health and fitness. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about supplementation and supplements in general. As always, if you're new, why not follow, rate, and share the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find it. I must say that anything said in this podcast does not substitute the advice of a medical professional. Listeners are always advised to seek professional medical advice before acting upon anything learned during this episode. Now, without further ado, let's get on to the topic of supplementation. Alright, so let's start by saying some of these supplements, if not to some extent, all of them have a similar claim outcome as exercise. Like they have a similar sort of, you know, blurred line of, you know, if you listen to some of these supplements individually, you go, oh my God, these are amazing. But what should be addressed is the fact that exercise can have, does have the same outcome as a lot of these. And that outcome is often proven and far greater. So the major element, elephant in the room um, that people tend to ignore is that a five times reduction with elite VO2 max top. So that is an easy way of putting it is the top 2.5% of people, like the top 2.5% people's VO2 max per age group have a five times reduction in their all-cause mortality. And a three times reduction just comes from moving from sedentary to an average level of cardiovascular fitness. And I can guarantee before going any further that none of these supplements will give you that result. So take all of these with a pinch of salt, but know that, you know, that's always there. So with that out of the way, vitamin B12 is going to be the first one. I thought, you know what, this is the spiciest, sexiest one because it's everywhere at the moment. You know, everywhere. Everyone's always talking about B12. It's on things like Frosties, it's on Cocoa Pops, it's on, uh, you know, almond milks, nut milks, oat milks, all all the, all the, all of the, like, substitutes. Um, and it's got to the point where, yeah, it's even on your cereals and anything that can possibly have it has it um, and that's mainly due to the increase in meat-free diets becoming more popular um, due to kind of the environmental pressures social pressures all these kind of things it's just become more popular and therefore vitamin b12 has been brought to the forefront because the idea is that if you have a meat-free diet you'll be deficient and at that point you'll need this supplement now there is currently low evidence to support improvements in things like cognitive function, depressive symptoms, and idiopathic fatigue, if I'm saying that correctly, which is just unexplained fatigue. Um, in both normal and subclinical levels of serum B12, so that's people who are technically, on a clinical level, fine, and on a clinical level, uh, low in B12. Now, there could be still more because cause, cause although like you know meat free diets have been around for a while they've been less in the limelight and less popular than ever before so there is still more to come on the 
you know, the, the role it has to play in people who choose not to eat any animal products. Um, because there is some evidence that says that it might take up to about five years for that vitamin B12 deficiency to show itself. So arguably at this current point, maybe taking B12 daily is, you know, arguably a waste of money. I use this in quote, like, you know, softly. But maybe just supplementing it once a day, maybe t once once a week, maybe twice a week, if you're someone who has a meat-free diet. But if you don't, looks like there's limited value in supplementing it. The next big one that I think is pretty common to be bought is probably one of those highlight. Well, I think there's some supplements that everyone has heard of. You should be taking that one. Vitamin D. Now, I don't know. I suppose I've gone through phases of taking it. I'm currently not taking it. But vitamin D is needed in the body um, for calcium absorption. And without it, conditions such as osteoporosis, which is weakening of bones, and muscle aches and weakness in general um, can occur. So supplementing is reported to have, you know, the opposite effect there is an element of a there is a point at which you reach toxicity where the levels are too high and um, and they interfere with the natural process of bone metabolism and you know the regeneration and so it's doing the opposite so you kind of have to be a bit careful with that so taking maybe 2000 IU a day every day could lead you to get into that toxicity level which would not be ideal now a lot of the information on, you know, vitamin D comes from observational studies in a lot of cases. Um, but then there are some, you know, clinical trials. But the, the 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 current sort of consensus is that, you know, vitamin D, people who had higher levels of vitamin D um, had an improved level of muscle function. Now, there is, you know, a caveat to this. This could quite easily be reverse causality. Because vitamin D um, is synthesized in the skin during sun exposure. People with more sun exposure tend to have a more active lifestyle. And therefore, as a result, just tend to have better muscle function. I mean, yes, you could argue, you know, if you just go to the gym, you're not getting that sun exposure. But there's also, you know, all those people who play sports, all those people who run cycle row outdoors do all these activities so it's fair to say that the likelihood is that someone with this improved muscle function and elevated levels of vitamin d is probably coming from the exercise to sort of validate this um they've taken sedentary people and supplemented and raised their vitamin d levels in the blood serum and found that it actually had an adverse effect on muscle function. So it's a bit unclear, but somewhat fair to say that it isn't as, you know, big a deal as you may have first thought. But in fact, just, you know, having regular exposure. Because even in the winter, you know, if you get out for an hour while the sun's out, that could be enough to, you know, keep those serum levels adequately topped up until the summer where you get even more sun exposure. 
Now, my kind of favourite one on the list, maybe not my favourite, because there's some others to come that, you know, are pretty pretty solid in their evidence and they get the benefits of them. Um, but Omega-3 has three key things. There is the weakest evidence is around um, depression in mild um, to moderate levels. Shows that it might help with this. Um, but the evidence is as strong. So I wouldn't use it as... I wouldn't jump to it straight away. It, it could be there, could not. The more um, solid bits of evidence are around the fact that it helps build the cellular makeup of your eyes and help prevent vision problems like muscular degradation that comes with age that affects the middle part of your vision. Um, so in general... Having this dose of omega-3 could help maintain your vision at whatever capacity you have it later into life. And then the big one is just the reduced risk of most uh, coronary and cardiovascular outcomes like um, myocardial infraction, coronary heart disease, um, total coronary heart disease. And cardiovascular disease but the one thing it doesn't seem to impact is chance of stroke so just in general for your heart it seems pretty positive a lot of these tests well studies surround the sort of thousand milligram mark to one gram but there are some that push it quite far three thousand four thousand milligrams and they seem to show even stronger results but most of the current studies are around the sort of one gram mark so it looks like there could be more room for improvement but it definitely seems to have positive outcomes on on your heart and on your eyes so this is one that i'd kind of give a thumbs up i'd say so far vitamin b12 and vitamin d maybe take once a week maybe take you know five times every over the course of three months they're not as critical whereas omega-3 it looks like one gram a day could be highly beneficial next one is magnesium magnesium i've yeah i think it's got again three big parts to it um the effect it has on muscle muscles and muscle function which is big for athletes the effects it has on sleep and affecting insomnia uh, and then the effects it has on blood pressure so for athletes the biggest one is um, it is really important for the like for the skeletal muscle function um, it mainly seems to be more beneficial in the elderly people um, and it's all sort of become apparent that in the physically active if if your serum levels adequate then you won't really see any benefits in going even higher but if you are if you find out you are deficient then it then it seems to have positive outcomes although these outcomes are not gigantic um, in on insomnia I, I had heard it quite a few times about how like taking it before bed but it looks like that a dose of less than one gram three times a day could um, you know, be given to people with insomnia and affect the uh, sleep onset time and help you get to sleep 
faster. There is some stuff about it improving deep sleeping, but the current sort of biggest gain seems to be on sleep uh, duration and lowering sleep onset time by small amounts, but it's a change nonetheless. Uh, the next one that I said is the effects on blood pressure. Um, it remains a bit controversial, apparently, and it suggests that 3,300 milligrams a day for three months was shown to reduce um, blood pressure by approximately 2 milliliters of hemoglobin. So if you've got a blood pressure 160 over 90, no, it's not going to drop you below the hypertensive threshold, but it's something. And maybe it does, you are a bigger responder and you get five, but it's not a huge change. Um, but it does seem to exhibit some form of a change. Now, on to one that I don't even, some, weird, I sometimes don't even look at it as a supplement, but it is a supplement, and that's protein. Um, my biggest concern has always been heavy metal content, um, but the consensus is that like the dose effectively makes the poison and there will be some heavy metal content in it but one shake or two shakes a day seems unlikely to cause any adverse effects definitely one a day um, so yes if you are trying to consume 200 grams of protein and just protein powder yeah maybe it, you know there are other issues with that but if you're just trying to hit a goal and you know you're like 20 30 grams short then one protein shake a day isn't 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 the end of the world so when considering um, a protein supplement there are other stuff to consider um, you've got uh, nitrogen spiking and so you effectively just have to be on the lookout for individual amino acids that are listed on the label things like glutamine uh, creatine uh, Glycine, taurine, valine, and isoleucine. These all can be listed and counted towards the total protein content. Um, and in that case, you might see it's advertised at 30, but that's not the actually the amount of whey protein you're getting in, for example. So, it, you know, you have to be on the lookout. The best thing to do is just go with a kind of reputable brand. Check what's on the label. It might be listed. It's not saying that all companies that list them are counting it to the total protein content. But if someone's been in the industry for quite a long time, if there's this new protein powder claiming wonderful things and has 40 grams of protein in it per similar dosage of a normal one, say like a, a name brand that's doing 25, there's room to be skeptical, um, basically. But obviously protein contributes to muscle protein syn synthesis it's really easy to consume before or after a workout and it plays a vital role in recovering from weightlifting, running, cycling, all these kind of activities that are good for you. It just plays a really key role. So it's an important thing. If you can get your protein needs from um, your diet, then great. Something like say you're trying to put on mass or you run it two, two grams per pound is, uh, sorry, one gram per pound is the often metric used or two grams per kilogram or even got one that i quite like using is just one gram per centimeter so 
for example for me 189 centimeters 189 grams per day gets you kind of a good number you you know i wouldn't worry over the minute numbers but if you're getting currently 60 and you go to the gym six times a week or run six times a week then you could look to up that um one i threw in there just because i think it's well known that really creatine is kind of one of these big supplements that um you know benefits athletic performance more in a niche way it proven to have really limited to no effect on aerobic performance like running cycling and swimming um but for lean muscle mass growth it is kind of an obvious choice um how what how it works is increases your stores of phosphocreatine in the body allowing for greater atp production and increasing the time to fatigue during weightlifting exercises so clearly you can do more like you can lift more volume and therefore bigger stimulus on the muscle group um and so an improved performance bigger stimulus and therefore more adaption uh, will come with a slight effect of uh, higher lean mass mainly due to the the water that is stored then around the muscle um but say you're a cyclist you worry about it you c- or a runner who's really you you're someone who's in a a sort of power to weight sport then doing it in kind of your off season would be beneficial um but then if you're someone who just goes to the gym and isn't cared about power to weight or you're a casual uh cyclist or athlete that doesn't have to you know sweat over 500 grams a kilo you know of uh lean mass then then taking it all year round is attractive the dosage is agreed that there seems to be limited difference in the dosage past the loading period you can either do 20 grams a day for about five days to load it on faster or you can just do five grams a day to 20 to 30 days to load it and then a five gram maintenance either way just five grams a day and you will maintain adequate stores now the final one is iron iron supplementation it's an essential mineral in delivering oxygen to the muscles so it's clear that for all human beings it's pretty key metric and it's could have the potential of being a pretty beneficial uh, supplement because if you're an elite athlete the more oxygen you can get to the muscles that's what you're effectively doing your training for and for just your average joe you know as in the vo2 max episode delivering more oxygen to the muscles helps you more than just to run faster it allows you to walk quicker it allows you to carry more shopping it allows you to just do tasks um so ferritin you might have seen on a blood test before is the cellular storage protein for iron um and so generally is reflective of iron stores um and that's why for most cases when you have your blood drawn it's used as an indicator of how much iron um the athletic performance side and i think general performance um and need to supplement is shown below uh 20 micrograms per liter 
so when it's over those values, you're not like getting to 40 isn't going to benefit you. Um, but you know, if you're below 20, it seems like it can benefit you. <coughs> so to summarize, we've had a few supplements there. We've had vitamin B12, which is kind of like meh. The importance is a bit vague. Um, and daily supplementation is probably not needed. Vitamin D falls under that same category of you can probably get away with not supplementing it at all. Um, Omega-3, one gram a day seems to be extremely beneficial for eye health um, at some levels of cognitive function, but more importantly, uh, you know, cardiovascular health. Magnesium seems to be a option for reducing insomnia uh, slight improvements in muscular performance if you are deficient and some small impacts to blood pressure protein just be careful where to some extent you're getting the protein from but the heavy mental content isn't too much to be worried about and nitrogen spiking isn't done by every company that labels these amino acids. So going with a reputable brand is probably your first point of call. Creatine, just get it as cheap as you can. It shouldn't break the bank. Taking it five grams a day is adequate for maintenance. You can either load it over five days, taking 20 grams a day, or just from the beginning, if you're just doing it indefinitely, five grams, and it'll take about 20 to 30 days to load. And then finally, iron. No need to really supplement when it's already above 20 micrograms per litre. That's ferritin stores. And, you know, if it is deficient, then you will improve your ability to deliver oxygen to working muscles and therefore highly beneficial. Now, if you've made it this far into the episode, I'd like to thank you. If you would like to rate, share, suggest any other topics to be covered, I'll do my best to get to them. And I'll see you in the next episode.